A couple of weeks ago, or uh, sorry, last week, we were in Acts 17 and uh, found ourselves in Athens. Athens being the uh, not quite the shining jewel it once was. By the time Paul's there, it's still a very important city. It's an important center of thought, of philosophy. It's not, it's not the great city it was, you know, maybe 300 years before, but it's still a big deal. But uh, Paul is leaving Athens and he's heading to Corinth. I, I read a commentary the other day on this section of scripture that compared, compared this to somebody in, in our present age leaving Boston and going to San Francisco. You know, the idea being that, you know, in Boston, it's an old city. It's got a lot of old things. Now, if we're talking to Europeans, they'd say it's not old at all. But to us, it's old, right? It's got a lot of old. It's got a lot of history, heritage. But if you went to San Francisco, there's not much there that's, you know, there's a lot of new stuff. There's, there's not a lot of really old history. I mean, you'll have some history, but most of it's new. Uh, Vancouver, same thing. You go to Vancouver, it's steel and glass. There's, there's some historical spots, but it's a new city. Corinth is a new city, but it's a very uh, important city. It's probably tw- at least 20 times as big as Athens. It's big. It's a big deal. It's an important center. Um, it's right, you know, right on the coast. It's got commerce coming in over land and over sea. And every time you'd have a big city like that, you just think about our day and age, the biggest cities that we have in North America, the biggest cities that we have in the world, yeah, they're full of a lot of people, but by nature, being these big cities, they're not just full of people, they're full of a lot of, tr- of, a lot of problems, aren't they? Uh, it seems like when a bunch of people get together, we can do good things or we can do bad things. And so while there are a lot of good things going on in cities, there's also a lot of really dirty stuff in the under, underbelly of these cities. In Corinth, it wasn't just the underbelly, it was all over the place. Um, I know we talk about Ephesus like this, but Corinth was very similar. Corinth um, was, was very much a, a pagan, idolatrous, a filthy city in many ways. And I'm not talking about filthy as in, you know, not a good sewage system. I'm talking about filthy in a spiritual sense. And this was something that uh, Paul stepped into, not just ministering to a church that was already there. There was no real church there yet. So he's coming into a city that needs Jesus. And not only are there a lot of pagans who are just straight up sinful, he's also already got Jews that have heard about him that are ready to cause some trouble as well. Corinth... um, there was even a Greek word back in Paul's day. If you were to translate it to English, the best way to translate it would be to uh, Corinthianize. And what does that mean? Like if I said to somebody, I'm going to Lloydminsterize you, we wouldn't know what that meant. You know, like, <laughs> okay. That, there's, there's nothing that goes along with that. But Corinthianize in Paul's day meant to, you know, become very immoral, to become dirty, to become, you know, kind of whether it be sexually immoral or greedy or, you know, especially sexually, this was, to Corinthianize, just meant to become very immoral. So if you have a verb named after you, like when people say Corinthianize, they're referring to somebody becoming dirtier, somebody not dirtier in the sense of, you know, uh, you know unclean, but dirtier in the sense of very sinful and, and openly sinful. And so this is the Corinth that Paul steps into, and he's come from Athens, he's come to the big city of Corinth, and uh, this is what happens in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, after these things he left Athens and he went to Corinth. 
And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them. An interesting thing about this is when Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, most historians agree that it was because of Jesus. Um, it was because of the preaching. You see, Paul hadn't even hit Rome yet, but the gospel spread faster than one man. Thank God for that. The gospel spread like wildfire. So uh, if you read your history books, what happened was um, it, Suetonius, who was a, a secular historian, he wasn't a Christian at all. He was a Roman historian at the time. He wrote that Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome because of the, a fellow named Christus, because of this Christus. He kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Well, he didn't say a certain man named Christus, which is what they'd say if there was a guy causing trouble. He said they kicked him out because of Christus, which most likely means that there was a bunch of riots and disagreements over Jesus himself. Christus, of course, being kind of a derivative of his Greek name. And so you've got all these people kicked out of Rome because the gospel's already making waves in Rome. Priscilla and Aquila have apparently become born again. They've moved because the Jews got kicked out and they're Jews. They've moved to Corinth and Paul immediately hooks up to them. And it says this in verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. Paul most likely um, was, was a weaver of a, a certain type of fabric that's made of goat's hair. And uh, it was actually well known from the region he was from. And so he's, he's making these tents and he hooks up with them and they're making tents. And you know as well as I do that whatever job you find yourself in is a great mission field. So Paul's not only supporting himself with this, this job, but he's also using it as an avenue to reach people. And he's, he's hooked up with some fellow tent makers. And it says this, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, here's the deal. You actually see Paul do this more than once. And he's not like a little kid that just loses his temper and says it all the time. Just, and then says, I'm sorry to mean that. The truth is, is that the reason he says it more than once is because he's not done with the Jews forever and ever. In fact, when he writes his letters, he says, I was sent as an apostle to the Jew first, then the Gentile. So every city he goes, you notice he hits the synagogue first. And if they don't, you know, if he, if he just you know, goes away and reasons with them and reasons with them and reasons with them until they will not accept him anymore, then he shakes his clothes. And that was, to the Jews of the day, that was a common way that they would express, like, I'm done with you. Your blood's on your own heads. So he just, you know, he shakes his clothes and he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. So the reason he did that more than once was because he was not done with Jewish people in general. He was just saying, all right, you guys have had your chance. I'm going to move on to the Gentiles. And in every city, he followed this pattern. He hit the, the synagogue first. I shouldn't say every city, but in most cities, this was his pattern. So you see him do this. He says, uh, your blood's on your own heads, guys. I gave you a chance. You got first crack at it. You know, often it's the church people that get first crack at what God is saying and what God is doing. But it doesn't mean that the church people are the first ones to get on board. You know, a lot of religious people 
have passed up what God was trying to do. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not talking about the church in general, but I'm talking about religion itself. Uh, somebody might stumble upon something. God may, in fact, reveal himself or, or, or do something in their midst, but it doesn't mean they're going to really receive it. So here these Jews are receiving the word of God, and only a few of them are getting born again. And so Paul finally says, as they're just arguing with him in the synagogue, he says, all right, fine, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. You guys have heard the word. If you don't receive it, that's your problem. So he probably had some, he had some Jews that followed him from the synagogue to wherever he was preaching because they received, but the rest of them, they had their chance. Thank God for that, that God, even knowing that they would reject the gospel, gave them that chance because that's the kind of God he is. So it says this, it says, then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Now, this is, this is the crazy thing to me. He's ticked off everybody at the synagogue. They've had a public falling out. He says, I'm leaving you. I'm done with you. Your blood's on your own hands. And then he just goes next door <laughs> to the house next door and begins to preach. It's awkward for everybody, right? I mean, he's, he's just next door. You know, you ever had that moment where you, you want to storm out of a room, but then, you know, you realize you, you still have to be in that room for something, you know? And you storm out, and then you come back and say, I'm sorry, I had to come back for something. It's kind of like that. You know, there's this, there's this big separation, and then he just goes next door and begins to preach. Well, that's kind of asking for trouble, isn't it? He's not afraid of trouble, thank God, but he's asking for trouble. He's going next door where they're already resistant to him, and he begins to preach in this man's house. Thank God for Titius Justice, otherwise known as Titus, but in, in, in our translation here that I'm reading from, it puts the T-I-T-I-U-S, so I'm going to try to pronounce it as, as best as I can. In verse 8, it says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. That's major, isn't it? The leader of the synagogue believed in the, in the Lord and all his household got saved. All his family got saved. Thank God. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Now, I want to ask you something. When he says the Lord appeared to him, I, I tend to take that based on what Paul has said before, the way he's worded it. When he says the Lord visited me, that's usually not just an angel. That's Jesus himself. So I believe that Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid. I know we've said this before. I remember Brother David McGrew saying it. In another conference where he said, you know, the Lord kept saying the same thing through different people who had never talked to each other, saying the same thing to him prophetically. And he finally said, God, what's the problem? You've said this so many times. Why do you keep saying the same thing? God spoke to his heart and said, I keep saying it because you don't believe it like you think you believe it. And he said, you know, God doesn't come up to you and say, Leah, thus says the Lord, you're a girl, not a boy. Just know that. The Lord says that you're a, you're a woman. You're not a man. She knows that. If the Lord has to say that, well, maybe there's some deeper issues we need to address. She knows who she is. She's not struggling with that. 
So that's why there's probably, Leah, has anybody prophetically told you you're, you're a woman, not a man? No, because you knew that. Well, you say, well, the Lord spoke to me things I already knew, but yeah, but maybe you needed confirmation, or maybe he said it so many times, and you go, yeah, 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 but you didn't really believe it. So I got to ask you a question. Just honestly think about this. If Jesus had to show up to Paul in his dream and say, don't be afraid, can we all just assume that Paul was probably on the edge of being very afraid? Either was afraid or was going to be afraid? I don't think Jesus wastes a trip like that. Well, I mean, it's not like it was a trip. He didn't... Didn't have to pack his suitcases and come down. But I don't think Jesus wastes a vision like that. There's not that many visitations that Paul received. So for Jesus to stand in front of him and say, don't be afraid any longer, but keep speaking, I got to believe Paul was afraid. I got to believe he was discouraged. And I want to I focus for a minute on that last sentence because it's a big one. I have many people in this city. Now here's the thing. I don't believe at this point, from what we can tell, there were many people in the church. There might not have been many people that were believers as of this point. I believe, now you can take it how you want to take it, but I believe when I read this, that Jesus is speaking of people that haven't yet even believed yet. But I have many people in this city. And this this works two ways. Number one, he says, you're not going to have any harm. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. Secondly, don't be discouraged with the harvest you see. There's a lot you don't see. There's a lot you don't see. I was at a point, just to be honest with you, as, as a minister, there are many times where you feel exactly like Paul, where you're having a bit of success. And there's people that are believing. There's households getting saved. And yet, maybe it's not as much success as you thought you were going to have. Maybe it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. Maybe there's more resistance than you expected. And as a minister, there are plenty of times where if you're not watching yourself, there might be a bunch of people that are very happy to receive the word, but you're focusing on the people that are not budging or you're focusing on the resistance that's coming at you. And I've been there. And there's been times where people tell you a great message and you don't hear it. All you hear are the ones that didn't receive. And there are times where God's got to speak to you and say, listen, there's more growth in this city. There's more beneath the soil that you don't see. There are people that you don't know. And every prophetic voice that had to stand up and preach the word of God, even when it wasn't popular, at some point had to have God, I mean, most of them at least, maybe not everyone, but most of them at some point in their life had to have God say, don't be afraid anymore. If you go throughout the scripture, he says this many times, stop being afraid, I'm with you. Who cares who's against you? I think about Elijah You think about that, coming off the greatest victory of his life. He's had all of these priests of Baal challenged him on the mountain. In fact, he challenged them on the top of a mountain, a face-off of him saying, all right, whoever God sends down fire first is the the God who's real. And so these these worshipers of Baal wasted all their energy and their their screaming and all of this trying to get Baal to answer. And of course, you know Baal can't call down fire because Baal's not a God at all. And so they're, they're working on this, they're trying. And then Elijah calls down fire and God 
sends down fire on the altar and it licks up like he, he was so confident he filled the moat around the altar with water and the fire licked up the water and it consumed the sacrifice and he's so excited that the, the Baal worshipers are, are arrested right on the spot and he's also told that the, he's told this guy you're not going to release any rain until I say you can. It's been three years since they've seen rain and he says now it's time to rain and after a little while of waiting, the rain comes at his word. Not only that, but he's, so he's defeated the, the, the worshipers of Baal in front of all of Israel. He is, spoke to the sky and said, rain. And rain after three years came. Then he outruns the king's chariot going down the mountain. But like right after this, like immediately after this, he's hiding. And he says, Lord, I'm the only one. I just want to die. That's tough, huh? And I know, yeah, he's probably a little manic depressive. Elijah, the bipolar prophet. But the truth, uh, the truth is, often after your greatest victories comes the opportunity to fall down real hard if you're looking at the wrong things. So what did God say to Elijah. He says, there are, and he, and he gives them, he says, there are hundreds who have not yet bowed the knee. That's right. That's right. You think you're alone. You're not even close to alone. But that's what happens. And I've been there. When you've been in ministry long enough, you realize there are times where you feel alone, even though there are people right there. And you have got to get your mind and your eyes off of the flesh and off of your self-pity and all of that. Look back at God and let him say to you, what do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to whine about? I'm with you. And that should be enough. But even if, even though that's enough, there are many people in this city that are mine. There are many that you don't even see yet. There are many people that you have not yet even met. I have many people in this city. I personally was at a place where I was, uh, and, and Tia can tell you this, where I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like, I, I know we're ha- we're, good things are happening, but I feel like there should be more fruit here. There should be something growing. I just, you know, I'm, not, I'm feeling like, what's the point of preaching? You know, and I got to this place, not a good place to be, but every now and then you fight this stuff. And, and, and I was just saying to God, like, God, you know, are we doing things? I mean, are we missing something? And I, what's going on? And I opened my Bible, and I was reading. I didn't play Bible roulette. just went. <laughs> but I, I just happened to be in this chapter, and there that stuck out at me. Boom. Don't be afraid. Keep on preaching. I have many people in this city. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> Heard and done. Get out of the pity party. T- return the hats and the sparkles and all of that. You can have that back. And, uh, all right, I hear you. Paul needed to hear this. There was great discouragement, it seems, that he's facing based on the fact that uh, there's some resistance, based on the fact that maybe he thought it should grow faster than it went, based on the fact that some people are trying to kill him. I mean, fair enough, some people are trying to kill him. But the Lord says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And there are many people in this city And I'm not going to allow any harm to come to you. Watch what happens. He settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That's his response. All right, Lord, I'll stay here a year and a half. Says, while Gallio 
was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and they brought him before the judgment seat. So, so Bemis, Bemis that this, this is a, a judgment area where the public could come and, and, and it was a public court and uh, the, you know, he'd be tried by a, a government official but there are many people that could be present and there are many people that could be uh, there to accuse him and, and here's what happens. He's tried before the judgment seat. In verse 13, this is what they said. They said, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. (laughs) I like that. He said, but if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. Uh-oh, that kind of backfired, didn't it? You just kicked off the, you just ticked off the Greeks, and they got mad, and uh, they began to beat on the, I mean, he, they come here hoping that Paul gets beat, hoping that Paul gets whipped. And in the end, the leader of the synagogue has ticked off enough people that he gets beat, and here's what happens. It says, Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. There's a guy getting the tar kicked out of him right in front of him, and he says, ah, it's an internal matter, and he just walks away. <laughs> Probably best not to challenge God's man, huh? But either way, God, just as he promised, kept him from harm. And it says this, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. And Cancrea he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a while longer, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. So here's the thing, and here's what we really need to just get tonight. It's a very simple thing. The fact is, even when you see success... In fact, especially when you see success, there is an immediate attack of discouragement. Now here, I'm looking at a bunch of believers, many of you who have stepped up in the past year or the past two years, the past three years, you've stepped up into new areas and new dimensions of ministry. You've, you've gone to different places. Some of you have switched. Some of you have had a transition. Some of you have, have just said, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go a bit deeper. And in every, every opportunity, you have, you have the chance to look around and say, wow, look at what God's doing. But you have to be aware of the enemy's plans. You don't have to be obsessed with the enemy's plans. You don't have to think about the enemy all the time. In fact, it's best if you don't. But the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of the devices he has is anytime God uses you in a new way, you, start a new, you, you, you step in a new place in ministry, you take on new responsibility. You decide to go deeper. There is always a counterattack against you. You could go back and say, well, it's my fault for stepping up. But no, that's no way to live. You know that Ephesians 6 says no matter what the enemy throws at you, if you have the full armor of God, you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to resist. You'll be able to quench every fiery dart of the devil. But there's the immediate 
darts thrown at you. And I know you're saying, well, I know when they come, you know, there's that sickness that comes or that resistance that comes. And that's all true. But I'm going to tell you that all of those things seem pretty obvious when they come at you. You know that God didn't send it. You know that there's an enemy that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's come to stop you. It's come to break you down. And so often, that just, that just works up your resolve. You're like, oh, you're going to try to stop me now? Oh, now you just ticked me off. Now I'm just going to stand even harder. But one of the weapons that the enemy will use is discouragement and isolation. And you see this with, like I said, Elijah. You see this with David, Moses. You see this with Paul right here. That the enemy will not only try to discourage you and tell you it's not successful. You were a little excited when it started, but you're not seeing what you thought you'd see. But he also tries to isolate you. And you end up saying, I have nobody. I'm all alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. There's nobody like me. Or nobody wants to be around me. Whatever. There's an, an attempt to isolate you. You have to know that this is textbook. And you're not facing anything no, that the rest of us haven't faced. But when you're in it, you feel like you're the only one who's ever faced it. And I'm here to tell you the good news. The grace of God is bigger. The love of God is stronger. And the family of God is more real than you think they are. And you have to get over that as fast as you can get over that. Don't entertain that thought. You know what my problem is? Can I tell you just honestly what my problem is? Every, all my family are strong, spirit-filled believers. Nobody brings cake to my pity parties. <laughs> Nobody joins in. Nobody writes a nice country song for me. They all immediately begin preaching at me the very same things I've preached at them, and they don't let me talk like that for very long. And I want to talk like that for a little bit. This only happens very rarely, folks. I'm not, tell, I'm not saying that I am chronically just going through this. No, but there have been times in my life where I have. And you know what? I got these people that go, well, you know what? I hear you. I hear you. But you know, God, God calls you this. If God said this, blah, blah, blah. And they're starting speaking scriptures. And immediately, there, there is no part of my flesh that's comfortable anymore. And I just have to get over it. And I don't want to get over it. I want you to say, oh, come here. <laughs> I want you to say, what can we do to help you? <laughs> but no. You're just preaching at me. And you're encouraging me. And I don't want to be encouraged. I want to sit here for a while. In the hot tub of my misery, doesn't it feel nice? <laughs> but that's where people die. You think, about the, you think about these wars where you're tired and you're hurt, you may be injured, and you've gone as far as you can go, and you're in a ditch right there, and the enemy's about to come overrun, and your, your, your comrade in arms comes up to you and grabs you and says, come on, we got to go, come on, we got to go. And you go, I can't, I can't go any further, I can't go any further. You know what feels good at the moment is for him to say, okay, buddy, let me just sit here with you. But if you just sit there, you're going to die. So you know what's uncomfortable? To have that guy say, come on, you can do this, you got more left in you. I don't, my tank's empty, I'm dry. No, you're not. And they make you go. Those people are really annoying. But those, those people will save your life. It's the truth. 
Those people save your life. And in this case, you know who Paul had to do that to him? Jesus. You know why? It was Paul's out on the tip of the arrow. He's out there, you know, at the tip of the spear. He's, he's out first into the battlefield. In fact, everybody around him is new believers. He doesn't really have a peer with him at this moment. He's got some of his guys that came, you know, Timothy and, and, and those friends that brought support and brought encouraging news, but he, he doesn't have somebody that really is at his level that could really speak straight to his face, and so Jesus himself shows up. And that's a powerful thought. Jesus is not willing to let you flounder in the ditch, but you have to listen to him. And unfortunately, sometimes in the fog of discouragement, in the fog of isolation, Jesus speaks to us three or four times and you don't hear it. That's a hard place to be, friends. And I hope that you never stay in that place. Some of you even this week, this month, this year, have faced what I'm talking about and you know what I'm talking about. Where you feel alone and you feel discouraged right when you should be going deeper. But hear this. The Lord says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Keep on doing what you're doing. The best way to give the enemy a black eye is to never let him put a dent in your mission. You just keep doing what you're called to do. I learned this as a young kid, even as a kid, especially it came true as a teenager, because as I was an older teenager, my parents didn't force me to come to church. They forced me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, they did. I didn't have to be forced. I liked church, but it was not an option. As as a 10-year-old, I couldn't have said, I'm not coming to church. No, not an option. Shouldn't have been an option. Wasn't an option. But as I began to be an older teenager, they began to give me more and more responsibility. And they're, they're saying, you know, listen, you've got to make your own choices. You've got to follow Jesus on your own. We can't make you follow Jesus. We expect you to be at church. You're going to be there. But you know what? You're the one that's got to get yourself up. You're the one that's got to decide to go. And I found this, that if, if I ever got tired, real tired, I'm too tired to go. I, did, I, I don't think I, I think I did this once. Or I was too tired and I didn't go. You know, what happens the next week? You're more tired than you've ever been before. Why? Because it worked on you. It worked. Being tired kept you from church. Guess what? Expect to be tired every Sunday because it worked. I'm just telling you the truth. If you, if you let that excuse keep you, it will hit you every time. Well, I was so tired on Sunday mornings, I don't get it. Well, number one... Why are you so up so late on Saturday nights? But okay, all right. Well, I'm so tired on Sunday mornings. I just don't get it. I get it. Because last time you were tired, you said, I don't need to go. And you didn't. So now every time you feel a little bit tired, you give in. Guess what? He's going to use it every single time. Or you step up into a new area of ministry, you know, whether it's at your job or, or you've gathered with some, some, some like-minded believers and you're going you're gonna to make a new thing. And, you know, and immediately, like three weeks into it, everybody's like, oh, should we be doing this oh, so often? Maybe we take a break. Maybe not this week. Well, guess what? Then the next week, you're looking for every excuse you can find. I'm going to give you some solid advice that I've learned and has helped me in my life, which is this. 
Don't let the devil dictate your schedule. Don't let fatigue, don't let discouragement. Your schedule is dictated by you and you're dictated by the Lord. So you do what the Lord called you to do and stop giving in to every little feeling and every little emotion that comes across the wind and you just stand. And the best way to kick the enemy back in the teeth after he tries to get you down is to do what you're going to do anyways, even though he's trying to stop you. That's the time you most need to do it. Don't give in. Don't sissy out. Stand firm in the faith. And if you can't stand on your own, call for a friend to pick you out of the ditch by the scruff and make your flesh uncomfortable and make you get out of your pity party and and say, I need this. I hate you for it right now, but I need this. Don't say that to him. Don't actually say that. But you know, you don't like him. I love you, but I don't like you right now. Let them get you out and stick you up on the, get you out of the trench and stick you up where you need to be and keep you walking until you can, can walk on your own. Someday you'll do the same favor for them. And if you got a, a spouse sitting next to you tonight, spouses, this is your job. This is your job. Be that strong person. Now, I realize there's a wrong way to do this, friends. You know, right? <laughs> I learned this. I learned it. <laughs> There is a wrong way. <laughs> and I have to say that because you're going to go back and say, well, this is what Pastor Jonathan said to do. Oh, there's a way to do it. And, and I don't mean to generalize, but women, if you do it the wrong way, you're going to be nagging. And men, if you do it the wrong way, you're going to be dominating. And either way, it, you'll break more than you heal. So... <laughs> There's a, you, this is the times where you need to be led by the Spirit. And you don't just... I, I found that our methods that we come up with most of the time are just terrible ideas. And, and they really don't do a lot of good. So if we're going to do anything, what needs to be motivated, what needs to be encouraged is that person's spirit. They need to be encouraged. They don't need to be beaten down even anymore. They need to be encouraged. Encourage them. Build them up. Sometimes you've talked all that you can talk and you just need to pray. But that's what you're here for. And in this case, Jesus said it to Paul and Jesus keeps his word. Don't be afraid anymore. But what I, what I, I really want you to leave you with this tonight is to notice what came before Jesus saying this. A whole bunch of success. A whole bunch of good reports. But maybe not what Paul was expecting and maybe more resistance than he was hoping for. So he got to the point where he was obviously worn out. He was tired. He was afraid. And so those moments of fear, you do not need to be ashamed that that came against you. But you do need to be strong enough to say, Lord, I need you. And I need your strength right now because I'm not, I'm not enough. And sometimes you need to call for some reinforcements. Thank God that Jesus appeared to Paul that day because Paul stayed there another year and a half after feeling like he was going to leave, after feeling like he was beaten down, after feeling like his life was constantly in danger, and it was, he stayed there another year and a half because of one word from Jesus Christ. One word from Jesus Christ sustained him for another year and a half. What do you think that a word from Jesus through you to one of your brothers or sisters could do? And for the rest of you, Maybe you're not the one encouraging somebody else. Maybe you're the one being encouraged. You need to receive the word of Jesus just like Paul did and say, okay, if Jesus says that I can do it and I hear this word over and over again, I have many people in this city 
And I realize that Jesus sees what I don't see. And that I, what I'm looking at is I might be looking at, you know, if I were Paul, looking in Corinth, looking at a, a city that's, that's messed up, a city that's disturbed, a city that's oppressed, a city that's in the dirt and the mud, and he looks at it and he does not see Jesus' people. He does not see a city that Jesus says, I've got many people. He sees a city that's corrupt. He sees a city that's filthy. But Jesus sees what you don't see, and we walk by faith and not by sight. So we need to be able to even look at Lloyd Mintz and say, because I say that because that's where we are. Now, some of you are from a little bit outside of Lloydminster. Take this for your town. But here's what we see. We look at this city, and you can look with the eyes of the flesh and get discouraged, or you can look with the eyes of the Spirit and say, there's a lot of people in this city that Jesus has already he's seen ahead. There, he has many people in this city. They may not know it yet, but they're his. And I get to be one of the group that comes and finds them. Be encouraged. Maybe Jesus would say to you, I have many people in your family when you've given up on them. Maybe he would say to you, I have, people, I have many people in your workplace you don't even know. You don't even know you're reaching them, but you are. Don't be discouraged and don't be isolated. Hear the word of the Lord. Get yourself up. Don't be afraid anymore. Here's the key note. I am with you. And if you look throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, whenever someone was afraid, that's what God said. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. David said, even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for God is with me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's not a, it's not a you know, all due respect to Bette Midler. I'm not sure how much respect is due, but whatever. God is not watching you from a distance. But you were wondering what I was, where I was going with the Bette Midler reference. <laughs> what could he possibly say? There's a song, God is Watching Us from a Distance. I know I've brought it up before. And I, I know it's a sweet song, and I know they probably taught it to you at Rendell Park. But uh, God is not watching you from a distance. He came, bore our flesh and blood, went through what you went through, and stayed. And he gave his spirit to you. God is not distant from you. He's near to you. We need to stop acting like he's distant. Start acting like he's near. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are near. You are an ever-present help in a time of trouble. You are an encouragement, a strength to the weary. Strength to the weary. Strength to the weak. Strength to the afraid. May I just say... I don't believe that what God is asking you to do is pretend. Pretend like you're not afraid. I think what he's asking you to do is to go to him with that fear. Give it back to him and take on his strength. Don't be ashamed to be truthful with God. Don't be ashamed to be honest with him. Don't be ashamed to be open with him. For you were all laid out before him even even without uh, you knowing he can see everything. He knows everything. For some of you tonight, you need to hear this. Do not let the spirit of discouragement take root in your heart. Do not let the spirit of isolation take root in your heart. Be encouraged and know there are many. There are many more that you don't even see that are for you. There are more for you than there are against you. Jesus. Lord, you're speaking to us right now, and we receive it.
Lord, we repent of our unbelief at times. We know that you are a loving God who says, I see you as you are. I have not rejected you. I have not turned away from you. There are times where we have been faithless. We've let down our end of the deal. We've we felt like we've been flaky. We felt like we've wimped out. We felt like we've let some people down. And we felt like we let God down. But I want you to know that you can't cause God to be low. You might think you've let him down. But he is a God who has still chosen you and called you. And he says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means he does not take back what he said about you. He does not take back the gifts that he put in your life. So if you've been the person that cut and run, now's the time to stand up and come back. Now's the time to say, Lord, thank God that you didn't leave me. Friends, we need to encourage one another. So Lord, we ask you that the same encouragement you give to us, we could give to one another. That we would know we don't stand alone, but we stand with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good, and I love you very much.